I want us just to begin today how we have begun for the last several weeks by looking at our church's mission statement. And I think by now we've probably got it learned, but let's just test ourselves and see if we can say it today. Ready? Why are we here to help? That's good. Now, the question is, how do we do that? How do we help all the people in our community and all the people beyond our community? How do we help all people to experience that new life in Jesus Christ. Well, we think about what our three purposes are. Why is the church here? What are our purposes? Number one, let's say it together, to lift up Jesus. Can we say that? Ready? Number one. Number two, build up believers. And number three, to reach out to others. And that's what we're thinking about. I'm gonna have to say, we didn't do very well on those three purposes today. We're here to lift up Jesus. That's the main thing in our worship, in the preaching and study of God's Word, and in our own lives, in our conversations and dealings with others, we're to lift up Jesus, also to build up believers, and also to reach out to others. And so today we're thinking about that third purpose, reaching out to others, doing everything within our power to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. Now, Friday night about 5.30, I got home, and I'd been home for about 10 minutes. This just drove the point home to me how important it is to reach out to others and to share with them how they can come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. My phone rang. A friend of mine named Heath Hyde. Heath and I grew up together at Silver Springs High School. Even though he went to one college and I went to another, we stayed in touch. He went to law school. I went to seminary. We stayed in touch. We have continued to stay in touch for all these years. And he called and and he said, John, I got to tell you some pretty bad news. I said, what happened? And he said, you remember, and he called the couple's name. He said, we went to school with them. I said, of course I remember them. And he said, well, their 26-year-old son, now listen to this. Think about this. On Thursday night, 26-year-old young man, fine young man, looked like a movie star, engaged to a beautiful girl there in East Texas, and they're going to get married in about two or three weeks. He said he and his buddies went out late Thursday night to do some hog hunting. Now, that's a Thursday night in Hopkins County right there. And they're doing their hog hunting, and he said about midnight, as they were right in the middle of all of it, he said he was in an ATV. And he said, they turned that ATV too sharp, too quick. And when they did, this young man's name was Carson. He said, it threw Carson out of the ATV, broke his neck, and he died immediately. Well, when Heath told me that story and knowing his family, the family of Carson as well as I do, my heart just sank. And I said, Heath, this can't, that, 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 tell me that didn't really happen. He said, no, it really happened. And he's telling me more, and we talked on and on about that. And as we're finishing up the conversation, I mean, where do you go after hearing that? I mean, it seemed like nothing else that we would normally talk about mattered. But as we were finishing up our conversation, I asked him a question that I have asked him for the last many, many years every time we finished talking. I said, well, Heath, how's Wayne doing? Wayne is a man who lives there in East Texas who was actually on the pulpit committee that called my dad to be the pastor there in 1980, 1981. And he and his wife, Wanda, are mainstays in the church, and they've been family friends. Wayne's a good guy, and and Wayne loves the Lord, and and I'm very close to Wayne. I, I always ask Heath, I said, how's Wayne doing? He said, John, it's interesting you ask about Wayne. He said, because I just got off the phone with him, and I was talking to him about what had happened to Carson. 
And he said, Heath, wait just a second. I got to go check something. And so he put the phone down and he went to some other room and he came back and he said, okay, Heath, now I'm back with you. And he said, Wayne, what did you have to go check? He said, I had to go check my notebook. He said, because I thought that I remembered many years ago going to Carson's house when he was in the fifth grade with a friend of mine named Brody Coon and asking Carson in the presence of his parents if he had ever become a Christian, if he'd ever received Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. And he said, as I was going through my notebook, I came across the date and he said to Heath and Heath said to me, it was in October of 2006 when Carson was nine years old that I led him to the Lord and he got saved. And that's kind of been the bright spot of that, of that whole weekend. And so yesterday I called Wayne. I hadn't talked to him in a while. And I said, Wayne, Heath tells me about this experience you had where you led Carson to the Lord back in, in, 19, in, uh, in 2006. He said, yes, I did. And, and I said, Wayne, I know and I've always known that you're a big soul winner, that you take the commandment of Jesus to share Christ very personal, very personally and very seriously. He said, well, John, I've tried to. I certainly could have done better. But you know, John, for all the years that Brody was still living, he and I would try to go out just about every week into one, somebody's house and we would always try to share with a fifth grader. He had a real heart for fifth graders. And he said, I would try to share with a fifth grader while both parents were in the room at the same time, how they could be saved. And I said to Wayne, I said, Wayne, do you have any idea how many people you've led to the Lord through the years? He said, well, I do have an idea just because I've just looked at this thing lately with Carson. He said, John, God's been good. I've been able to lead, Brody and I have been able to lead over a hundred people to the Lord during the, during the years. And Wayne's a very humble man. He said, but you know, John, you think about all the years that have passed. He said, that's pretty pitiful. He said, I wish I could have led more people to the Lord. And he shared with me, he began telling with me about different people he had led to the Lord and different people who had been saved. And he told this one story about a fifth grade girl who a few years ago, he led to the Lord. And, and while in the home, I, I can't remember if her parents got saved then or maybe they were already saved, but she grew up in a, in a good home, but maybe not a church going home. And, and the father in this home was a big old cowboy, just a big, tough, strong, you know, country, not weight room strong, but just country strong. And, and she, he said, on this particular night, Brody and I went over and led their daughter to the Lord. And it was a beautiful thing. And he said, John, just a few weeks after that, she was out riding her horse. In fact, she wasn't even riding her horse. She was sitting on her horse in the front of their property. And she said another, he said another horse came by and spooked her horse. And her horse threw her off and she was killed immediately. He said, it's been interesting to me through the years to see that on several occasions, we've been able to share Christ and lead someone to the Lord not long before they died. And he said a few days after she died, they had her body at the funeral home. He said, John, I don't even like to go to funeral homes. I hate funerals. It's sad. It, it, it breaks my heart. But he said, I said to my wife, Wanda, we need to go to Murray Owoski Funeral Home tonight, and we need to pay our respects to this family. I was just in their home a few weeks ago. And so they did. And Wayne said, John, when we walked in that funeral home, her big old father, I mean, probably six foot four, six foot five, no telling how much he weighs or how strong he is. He said, John, he just walked over to me, made a beeline to me as fast as he could walk, gave me a big bear hug, squeezed me tight. And he said these words to me. He said, Wayne, I could never thank you enough. You got to my daughter just in time. 
And he's telling me stories like this, one story after another. And I'm thinking to myself, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be preaching about reaching out to others, devoting our lives to sharing Christ with those who've never been saved. And so in John chapter one, I want us to pick up here because this is a very interesting passage of scripture. And let's just see as we read these verses, how people who had come to know Jesus personally then went and brought their family member or their friend to Jesus. John one, verse 35. Again, the next day, John, now this is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was always pointing people to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so on this particular day, John the Baptist has been saying, behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. And so two of his disciples, Andrew and the other one, who became the apostle John, they began to follow Jesus and they get to know Jesus. And we would say it this way, they got saved at the 10th hour. Now notice what Andrew did in verse 41. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And so Jesus turned Simon into Simon Peter, a strong man and a great witness for him. But what I want you to see here is this. As soon as Andrew got saved, The first thing he did was he went and found his brother, Simon. And he said, Simon, we have found the Messiah. Come with me. Let me introduce you to him. And he did. And we would say it this way. This is when Simon Peter became a believer in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 43. See, the same thing happened with two other people. Now the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So Jesus now found Philip follow me. And he followed him. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. This is on the Sea of Galilee up there on the northern part. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so Philip after Jesus had found him and saved him, what did he do? He went out And he found his friend, Nathaniel, and he said, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. Come, let me introduce you to him. And so this is the idea of what we're thinking about today. It is Christians, it is people sharing Jesus with people who don't yet know Jesus. It is Christians sharing Jesus with non-Christians, saved people sharing Jesus who don't yet know Christ. Sometimes, like John the Baptist, we just point them to Jesus. Sometimes, like Andrew and Philip, we bring them to Jesus, but we should always be encouraging people to Jesus Christ. Now, I wanna, I wanna make this, this point very clear. You still listen? Say amen. We're still fairly early on here. I wanna make sure you're with me here. Our job as Christians is to encourage non-Christians and to, as it were, push non-Christians 
a little bit closer to Jesus. And then after they get saved, our job is to push them even farther so that they can grow in their faith. Now, I was home the other night and I was playing on my phone, which I do a lot at night, and I like to look up various and different things. And, and I, I have certain preachers and pastors and things I like to follow. And I, I, I came across the other night an interview that somebody had done of Adrian Rogers, the great preacher in Tennessee, many, many years ago. And they were talking about preaching. And he was talking about the importance in our preaching of trying to lead unsaved people to Christ and yet at the same time to help save people to grow in their relationship with Christ. And he was talking about every sermon needs to have a little bit of both, more discipleship to help Christians grow, but always a, an explanation of how to be saved. And I want us to put on the screen today this little box that Adrian described in the interview, and I'm just trying to imagine this box. So I want you just to look at this. Adrian says, on the far left here, let this person represent a rebellious heathen. This is somebody who doesn't know God. They don't care what God says about anything. They live their life as though there were no God. Adultery is no sin to them. Fighting is no sin to them. Cussing is no, lying is no sin to them. Nothing is a sin to them because there's no God. They're a rebellious heathen. And so not all unsaved people are rebellious heathens, but he's just using the extremes. He said, now our job as Christians is to go to the rebellious heathen and to begin the process of pushing them one step closer to Jesus. Sometimes we get a person and, and, and maybe they're close to this, this line here is the salvation line. He said, sometime we have the privilege and honor of leading that person across that line. And you know, as I thought about that, now that's not a phrase that I would use very often in a sermon, rebellious heathen. I mean, that's not the way to make friends and influence people, right? Well, we want to welcome all the rebellious heathens here to church today. Well, no, that would not be very endearing. To, you know, you probably maybe next week go to the Methodist church if I pull that stunt on you, right? But I got thinking about that. Let me ask you a question. Yes or no? In the world, are there any rebellious heathens? Yes or no? Yes. Now, let me ask you this question. In the church, are there any rebellious heathens? Heathens. Now, don't point to the person sitting next to you and say, right here, I'm sitting by rebellious heathen. Well, you know, I, hey, God is our judge. I judge, but I would say this based on not, I'm just saying this based on what Jesus taught in the New Testament. We know that outside the church, there are, rebellion, there are some rebellious heathens who have nothing to do with God and so on, but also inside the church, I'm not talking about First Baptist Pasadena. Hopefully we're exempted of this, but let's just take most every other church. Inside the church, there are some rebellious heathens and for them, the church is their cover, right? I mean, I'm in church, man. I, you can't call me a rebellious heathen. I'm in church. Listen, when we're in church, we're under a, we're under a roof. We're in a building. But just because we're here doesn't really reflect everything. It reflects some things, but it doesn't reflect everything about where we are in our relationship with God. So Adrian said, listen, just do everything you can to always be pushing the unsaved people closer to this salvation line. But after they've crossed the salvation line, you're not finished with them. You need to keep pushing them and pushing them, help them to become a mature believer in Jesus Christ. These 78 people who've recently been saved, they've crossed the salvation line. 
But would we say that they're fully grown, mature believers in Jesus Christ? No, I wouldn't even say I'm a fully grown believer in Jesus Christ. I'm hopefully a growing believer. I'm hopefully a maturing believer, but I've got a long way to go. We won't be perfectly mature until we see Jesus face to face. But after somebody gets saved, we're pushing them to that. We're encouraging them to that, to trust the Lord, to obey the Lord, to go the way of the Lord, to be active in church and so on. Now, when I was reading this article by Adrian, he said something I found very interesting. He said, in the discipleship process, see, we think of the first half is evangelism, get them saved. And the second half is discipleship, grow them up. And there's a sense in which that's true. But Adrian said something very interesting. He said, what we often fail to remember in trying to build up believers and to disciple believers is that part of discipleship is evangelism. In other words, if you try to separate evangelism from discipleship, you're doing something Jesus never did. Remember this, Jesus told his disciples to go make disciples and then to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey everything that he had taught. But part of discipleship is teaching Christians who've been saved, who are growing in their relationship with God, how to share their faith with God so that they can come back and help these religious heathens and not, I mean, rebellious heathens and help others who may not be rebellious heathens, but they're nonetheless unsaved, but to push them and to move them a little bit closer to Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're thinking about today, reaching out to others. Now, the first thing I want to say is this, we should reach out to others with enthusiasm. Now, let me show you something interesting. Back in verse 41, notice it says, speaking of Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. That word found, our English word found, comes from the Greek word eurisko, from which we get our English word eureka. I have found it. We've all had this experience in life. Maybe you go to the mall and you find something, an outfit or something that, that you've been looking for and you say, I found it and you're so excited that you found it or maybe you go to a restaurant and you say, man, I didn't know this restaurant was here. This restaurant is, is fantastic. The food is good. Eureka, I have found what I was looking for. You know, I had a friend tell me several months ago, maybe six or eight months ago, he said, John, there, he said, I know you like chicken salad. And he said, there's a new chicken salad store in town called Chicken Salad Chick up here on Crenshaw in the Beltway. And he said, you ought to go by there one day and get you some chicken salad. In fact, he brought me some and, and brought me different uh, flavors of that. And he said, taste this and you ought to start eating there. So I tasted it and I, it was delicious. And I started going. I have told every friend I have in the last few months about Chicken Salad Chick. And now I'm telling all of you about Chicken Salad Chick. They owe me a free sandwich up at that store or at least a cookie or something for me doing this. But I love chicken salad. Somebody told me about a store that sold good chicken salad. I went, I ate it, I liked it. What did I naturally do? I, had, I was like, Andrew, I said, I found it. I found, I love, this is delicious food. Friend, think about this. As Christians, we have found something better than chicken salad. We have found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us, saved us, filled us with peace and joy, and we should naturally go share him with others. And so, you know, when we think about reaching out to others and sharing the gospel, there should be some enthusiasm in us. Eurisco, Eureka, I found what I was looking for in Jesus, and let me share how you can find him too. But we should also reach out to others with wisdom. 
It's not just enthusiasm or giddiness or excitement. It's that, but it's also with some wisdom intact. Look in verse 46. Nathanael said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, Nathanael wanted to have a conversation about Nazareth and the stigma associated with that town. And yet Philip didn't get in that. He said, hey, just come see, just come see. He kept the focus on Jesus. And Nathanael was brought to Jesus and and Nathanael got saved. And so when we talk to others, we should reach out to them with wisdom and with enthusiasm. I think about a great preacher who lived in England a long time ago named Charles Spurgeon. He pastored the great Metropolitan Tabernacle. Spurgeon's one of the most influential pastors who ever lived. And he used to pray that God would, as he thought about reaching out to others and sharing his faith in Christ with others, he said, God, I pray that you would make me, now listen to this prayer, an expert in matters of the soul so that when I'm talking to another person about Christ, that you would give me the discernment to be able to tell where they are. Have they crossed the salvation line? Are they close to the salvation line? Are they way back over here? Are they like a rebellious heathen? They got nothing to do with God, the church, or they don't care what God said. God, help me to be an expert in matters of the soul. Well, we all want to be experts in matters of the soul, and we all want to tell people how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, What I want to do now is to take just a moment and and to walk through what you can say to another person when you're talking to them about God. Now look around this room today, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people here. And I would say, and this may not be true in every case, but I would say today that all of us know somebody who is unsaved. I mean, I would think most all of us know somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And yet when we think about witnessing to them or sharing Christ with them, we sometimes think, well, now what do you say? How do I have that conversation? What, what, what can I do to help this person to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I've known, I just, you might can say some of this better than I've written out here today, but this is how I, kind of how I try to do it. If I'm talking to somebody about sports or the ball game yesterday or, or the economy or politics or the election or whatever we might be talking about, you know, somewhere in the conversation, I'm wanting to turn that conversation towards God. I'm wanting to turn that conversation spiritually. Now, many times they'll do that for me. They might say something like, well, you know, my life is just, is just messed up or, you know, I feel like something's missing in my life or, man, I'm just, I'm just a big worrier. They might say something like that. They might say, man, I just don't have any peace or, man, I, I'm so discouraged with what's happening in my life. I don't see any, I don't see how any way God could have anything good planned for me. So sometimes they kind of just open a door for you to walk through. Sometimes you have to open your own door. God opens it, but you have to articulate it. And I normally would say something like this. When I feel led in a conversation with an unsaved person, I would say something like this, very low key, very not in their face, not down their throat, but I would say something like this. I would say, you know, Jesus Christ has changed my life. And he's given me a peace that I never thought I would have. Now, that's the statement that I I would say some version of that. Jesus Christ has changed my life. And he's given me a peace I never thought I'd have. Now, I'm a long way from being all I need to be. I'm still a work in progress. I still sin far more than I ought to sin. But, But I'm telling you, Jesus has changed my life 
and he's given me a peace that I never thought I would have. And here's what I've noticed. When I use that word peace and I say, he's given me this peace that I never thought I would have, that gets their attention. Why? Because remember this, unsaved people, according to the Bible, don't have peace. The Bible says there's no peace for the unsaved. So it is biblically impossible for an unsaved person to have any real peace. And so when I say that, they say something like this to me. They say, oh man, I could use a dose of peace. I sure wish I had some peace. You don't have any idea what's going on in our family right now. If I could have some peace, I would give anything to have peace in my life. Now, if they respond in any positive way back like that to me, I I ask them a question. And we're gonna put this question on the screen. And I might say this in a different way, but here's the question I ask them. I say this, this is pretty direct. Now, this is pretty, pretty direct, but it, it, it makes the point. I'll say this, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been saved or are you still thinking about making that decision? Now, there's a thousand ways you can ask that question. I might say, have you come to the point in your life where you know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven or is that something you're still thinking about? See, if you give them that out at the end, I'm still thinking, well, you know, I... I don't know if I've ever done that or not. I, 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 you know, if somebody's grown up in the church or ever been to church, they know that word saved. So that's why I'm not reluctant to use it. But sometimes you can say it a different way. And they might say, well, you know, I just, I just don't know if I've, ever, if I've ever been saved or not. I'm not sure if I've really made that decision. I sure don't have that peace. And then I ask them a second question. And the second question is, th- is simply this. Because what I'm trying to do on question two, I'm trying to get their permission. I'm trying to get them to give me permission to share with them how they can be saved without feeling like I'm infringing on their space or being too, you know, in their face. I'll say something like this. Would you mind if I took just a moment and shared with you how you can, how you can receive Jesus Christ personally, how you can become a Christian and how you can begin to experience that peace in your life? That question is so very important because if you can get them to give you permission to share then it's natural conversation. Whereas if you just start sharing, you're gonna be thinking, do they wanna hear this? Or So just put it out there and say, would you mind if I took just a second? And they say, no, that'd be fine. I'd like to, anything I can do to get some peace. Man, I'm, I'm open, I'm open to hearing that. And then say something like this. Or you can say something like this. You can say, you know, a few weeks ago at our church, one of our ministers explained to us that becoming a Christian is like eating a piece of cake. Eating a piece of cake, yeah. He took that word cake, C-A-K-E, and he made an acrostic out of it. And he said, becoming a Christian is like eating a piece of cake. We have to, just watch how quickly, I bet I can do this in less than a minute. Let me see if I can walk through this. I know some of you think you can't do anything in less than a minute, but I'm fixing to try. C-A-K-E, we have to first of all understand C, that Christ loves us and he has a plan for our lives. Do you believe that? Well, yeah, I, I, I do believe God loves me. The A stands for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all messed up. We've all blown it in our lives. You have, I have, the Pope has, the priest have, the deacons have, your parents have. Everybody has blown it. We have all sinned. And when we sin, our heart gets full of dirty marks. The problem is if we die with these dirty marks in our heart, we can't go to heaven and be with God. 
because heaven is a clean place. And if God let dirty marks and dirty sins into heaven, it would make heaven a dirty place. And so no sin in heaven. We have to get those sins out of our heart. Most people are gonna say, man, I know I've sinned, you know, especially if they're a grown person. They, you, that, you don't have to spend too much time on that. They know they've sinned. And that leads us to the next letter, K, knowing the gospel is imperative. It is essential that we know the gospel. That word means good news, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He paid the penalty for our sins. And E means we have to experience Christ personally. We have to ask him to come into our heart and forgive us of our sins and make us a Christian, trust him to save us. And that's the gospel. See, now I may have taken a minute and a half or it was right around a minute right there just to do that. But that is the gospel. And then at the end of that presentation, you can say to them, does that make sense? Well, yeah. You know, it makes sense. I know I've sinned, and I do believe Jesus died. I, I get, I'm with you on that. Well, then come back to that E again. Well, let me ask you this. Would you like today to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Somebody help me do that. I'll be glad to help you do that. And you know what I've noticed most of the time? When I get that deep into the conversation, they say, well, yeah, I, I, believe, I believe I will. See, that's how Wayne led Carson to the Lord when he was nine. That's how he led that girl to the Lord before she uh, died in that terrible accident many years ago. And so that's the way. Now, I was home a few weeks ago and my phone rang and it was a good friend of mine, Dr. Robert White, who is the head of our First Baptist Christian Academy. And he shared with me an experience he had had recently where he had the privilege and honor of leading another person to Jesus Christ. It was so good. And I said to him, I said, look, on October the 9th, I'm gonna be preaching a sermon about reaching out to others. And I said, what you shared is so good and it's something I think we can all do. Would you mind sharing that uh, experience with us? And so Dr. White is going to come and he's gonna share that. Now, let me say, if you've not met Robert White, he's a, good, he's a great guy. And uh, you would enjoy meeting him. He's doing a great job for our school. First Baptist Christian Academy, to bring you, just kind of so you'll know the latest, has about 550 students this year. It's a great school and has great academics, but also our athletic program. I think you would want to know this as sports fans out there. Our football team right now, as of the last polling I heard, is number one in the state of Texas in the region that we're in. Number one. So we're proud of that. And not only that, we are number seven in the whole nation. And so it's just an exciting thing. So Dr. White, come tell us, would you make him feel comfortable so he'll feel good? Tell us what happened just a few weeks ago. Well, thank you. So good to be here with you. As uh, John said, I'm uh, delighted to be the head of school here at First Baptist Christian Academy. And something happened here a few weeks ago that I just got so excited about. I got on the phone and I had to tell John the good news. And I was just calling to share with him about how the decision that Dr. Redman and, and John and the good folks here at the church had made to open a Christian school so many years ago was bearing fruit in the lives of many, many families. And so it's my hope that this might encourage you what I would share in the power of the ministry of the school, as well as how God can use each one of us as church members to reach the lost for Christ. Well, I was here in the parking lot. It was about the second week of the month of September, working with a volunteer in the school parking lot, a school activity. And I got talking to one of the gentlemen that was the, the man that was helping me there. And he shared with me that he was a parent of an elementary student at First Baptist Christian Academy. And he was unfortunately recently diagnosed with cancer. 
Well, unfortunately, the cancer spread throughout his body and uh, the first two rounds of the treatments did not slow down the cancer as they had hoped. Unfortunately, the cancer appeared to continue to grow and while he and his wife were hopeful that the continuing treatments would restore his health, there was the possibility that his life could be shorter than he had originally expected. So this was a wonderful, kind man, and my heart was really sad about the news. And what I started thinking to myself was, I wonder if this person knows the Lord. I wonder if they're a believer. He had told me he had not been a very religious person. However, his son, who's a student in the academy in our elementary school, said, Dad, Mom, I want you to start taking me to church. So they started bringing him here to First Baptist of Pasadena. And I said to the man, you know, a lot of people have questions about Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, how you can become a Christian, where you will spend eternity. I would just be delighted to have the opportunity, if you'd allow me to do so, to meet with you in a coffee shop, sit down and share with you what the Bible says about how you can know for sure that when you die, you can go to heaven. Would you be willing to get together with me sometime? I'd even come to your home if you'd let me share with you. And he kindly said, yes, I'd be open to that. So I sent him an email the next week, and a few days later, he said, boy, I'd love to get together with you. I'll even pay for your lunch. And would you be willing to have my wife come along? And I said, that, absolutely. So it was on Wednesday, September 14th that we met in Jimmy Changa's for lunch. And during the conversation, he told me, you know, I've been coming to church with my wife and my son, and I really like that preacher, John Redmond. He said, uh, you know, he's from Tennessee, I'm from Tennessee, I love his sense of humor, he had kidney cancer, I had kidney cancer, and I, I really relate to what John has been saying. So I began to share with him my experience about how I became a Christian at 10 years of age, how I had accepted Jesus Christ into my life. I realized I was a sinner and needed to be saved from my sins, and I, I trusted Christ to save me from my sin. And I asked him if he had any questions, and he said, you know, I just feel so unworthy of the forgiveness that God gives. He says, God knows all the bad things that I've done. And now, at the end of my life, to ask him to forgive me, I, I just, I feel so unworthy of his forgiveness. In fact, he continued saying, I really even feel a little uncomfortable being in church here right now. I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite because of the way that I lived. So I shared with him that the man uh, that, that Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. I shared with him about the thief on the cross, how on his deathbed he accepted Christ as his savior. And I said, you know, if we were to peel back the minds of every person in this room, in this church, you know, all of us have sin that uh, we're not proud of. And the Bible says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he'll be guilty of all. So the man continued that he wanted to stand during the invitation. You know how John asked if anyone would like to accept Christ. And he says, I've been meaning to do that. And, you know, I can't make it next Sunday, but I think the Sunday after that, I'm going to stand and uh, receive Christ. So I looked at the man directly in the eyes and I said, you know, is there anything that would prevent you from accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior today? I said, would you be willing to, to pray a prayer with me? And I said the prayer, kind of like what John says at the end of the service. And the man looked at me and he said, you know what? I'd like to do that. So uh, right there in Jimmy Changas, we bowed our heads together and he accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. This wonderful man doesn't know how much time that he'll have left on this earth with his family because of this cancer. But he does know that he will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. 
I don't share this with you today because I'm some kind of specially gifted person. I need to really do better in sharing my faith uh, with others. And uh, I hope that this can be an encouragement to you that together we can share the uh, message of salvation with the lost. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And so when he shared that with me the other day, I just thought, that's something that we all can do. I mean, today we're telling you about Jimmy Chonga's Chick-fil-A Chick. We're putting out some good endorsements on these restaurants, right? We're telling you where you can get food for your body. But we're also telling you where you can have food for your soul. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Amen. You know, we have this goal to try to reach 15,000 people in our community. It's an absolutely enormous, gigantic goal. I believe it's a vision that came from God. How's that ever going to happen? Well, the only way we could ever hope for that to happen, first of all, would be if there was like an explosion of the Holy Spirit power in our midst, right? We can't do anything without God. But also, I think in order for that to happen, there's going to have to be an explosion of what, it's a a big word that we don't use anymore, we probably need to reintroduce it, of evangelism, where we are sharing with others the good news of Jesus Christ. And I just look around this room today, hundreds of people, and I just think if somehow, myself included and all of us, if we could develop a burden and a passion to see people say, see, that's part of discipleship. That's part of becoming a mature believer and meet them wherever they are. Maybe we won't be able to lead them to Christ. Maybe we could just push them one step in his direction. Maybe they're right at that line. We could take them by the hand and pull them across that line. But we all know people who need to know the Lord. And I'm gonna just ask if we could bow our heads and close our eyes before we end the service today. And first of all, to our Christians, all the Christians here today, you love God or you wouldn't be in church. Now, you may not be all that you should be. Well, neither am I. We're works in progress. But would you just, as a Christian, ask God to give you a burden in your heart for unsaved people? See, there may, you, you don't know. There may be a person that has crossed your path, and they don't know it, and you don't know it, but they may be gonna step out into eternity in the next very few weeks. And God has placed you in their path to share Christ with them so that when their time comes, they could go to heaven and not hell. We We don't often think of it like that, but in reality, that's how life works. Would you ask God to give you a burden for the unsaved? And would you pray right now, maybe God is bringing a neighbor, a friend for our students, somebody you go to school with. God is bringing somebody to your mind who's not saved. Would you just pray for that person right now that the Holy Spirit would would speak to their heart at this very moment and that this week, God would give you an opportunity, maybe not to lead them to Christ, but at least to just push them one step in that direction. And as you get into that conversation with them, it may be that you can make the statement that I've encouraged you to make and ask the questions I've encouraged you to ask. And it may be that this week you can lead them across that salvation line. And then you can begin to grow with them. And they can begin to grow with you, becoming the people that God made us all to be. Now, while Christians are praying for that, they're for those in the room today who say, John, I'm kind of like the man with, with, uh, with Dr. White at, at Jimmy Chong because I just, I don't, I don't have that peace. 
Some today would say, John, when you said a, a rebellious heathen, man, that's what I feel like. Others would say, I don't really feel like a heathen because I try to do right, and yet I really don't have any peace. And maybe my sin is I've been trying to live a life that God would accept. I've been trying to be good so bad that my goodness has become a substitute for the new birth. Adrian Rogers, I quoted him earlier. He used to say, there's nobody so bad that they can't be saved. And there's nobody so good that they don't need to be saved. And so today, whether you consider yourself good or bad, God doesn't even look at it that way. God looks at it saved and lost. And today, if you say, John, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I might be lost. Some would say, John, I know I'm lost. Well, don't leave that way today. Leave saved and leave sure that you're saved. Would you pray this prayer right now all across the room for those of you who want to make this decision? Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. I receive you by faith into my heart. And Lord, I ask you to begin now to make me the person you want me to be. God, today I've crossed that line but I've still got a long way to go to become the person you want me to be. But I thank you today that I've had my new chance and my second chance and my new beginning. 